0: Hi, welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today, I have Brendan Maynard. And Brendan is a missionary from Chosen People Ministry, which is based in Chicago. So, he has been in New Zealand for three seasons, and we'll tell you why he says three seasons. And now, he is in Cleveland, Ohio. He's up near me welcome I'm glad you could be with me today and um, I look forward to our conversation so thank you
1: yeah thank you very much for having me on and you know we did meet for the first time in person so uh that, that was a treat it was nice to meet you.
0: yeah we have a mutual friend who introduced us and like oh you should be on our podcast yeah so so I'm yeah. very
1: very thankful to be here
0: well thank you I appreciate it too, cause um, You're a busy man. You have family, your wife, and three boys, yep. right? You're all here in Cleveland after three so years um, in New Zealand. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, Chosen People yeah, Ministries?
1: So I've been working with Chosen People Ministries since 2015. Uh, Chosen People Ministries is the largest... Uh, and oldest gospel outreach to the Jewish people in the world. We're active in over 21 different countries now, I believe. I used, I used to have to say 19. I believe it's 21 now. Um, uh, most people are familiar with the organization Jews for Jesus because they have such an incredibly catchy name. Um, the, Mm -hmm. we are, we have been around longer than them. The founder of Jews for Jesus actually at one time first served with us. Um oh okay. And so uh my family and I uh have served for several years in the city of Chicago before uh moving internationally to the island country of New Zealand which is a very mm-hmm. sort of ironic and unexpected place to uh do gospel ministry to the Jewish people. Um and so right. The best way to explain or answer the question why New Zealand uh, is actually found in Scripture, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight. And most people are familiar with this verse. It's and oftentimes mm-hmm. it's a it's a favorite memory verse. It says, Jesus speaking mm-hmm. to his disciples in Jerusalem just before the ascension, says to them, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth or to the ends of the earth, depending on your translation. And so where's the ends of the earth? If you hold a globe in your hand and you put one finger on Israel, where those words were spoken by our Lord, and you put another finger on the polar opposite of the globe, that's where you'll find the country of New Zealand. There's not mm-hmm. an indigenous Jewish population there. Um, but what has been really remarkable is the um, tourism of Israelis Mm. to this country has been huge. And it's been going on for um, several decades, actually. So uh, this phenomenon Mm. is quite understandable. Uh, Since the rebirth of the nation of Israel, young men and women have been born as Israeli citizens growing up in the country Mm. of Israel. And uh, they... Go through their schooling there. And of course, as most of your viewers are probably aware, once they finish their schooling, they have their compulsory military service, uh, which lasts two to three years. And, you know, Israel is a very unique and special place. First of all, it's very small. And then second of all, it's, it's surrounded by other nations that are uh, typically and mostly not friendly to the nation of Israel. Right. So it's not right. like we have the the privilege that we have here in the United States, where if you want to travel, you can just hop in your car and go on a 2,000 mile road trip. Um, right. There isn't that right. same type of opportunity for to travel for these young Israelis. And so once they've finished their term of service in the IDF, the Israeli military, it is extremely popular for them to go out and travel the world. And one of their favorite places has traditionally been New Zealand. It's very beautiful, very adventurous. And um, and so they will come and travel and stay there for um, three to six months and sometimes longer. And so wow. what our ministry has done there is simply open... Uh, hospitality accommodations for them that we offer for free. And this has created the one of the most perfect and unique environments for sharing the gospel with the Jewish people that church history has ever known. Of course, church history is fraught with attempts to share the gospel with the Jewish people.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: most of those attempts have been more tragic than successful. Um, uh, but this environment in New Zealand created this perfect opportunity. Uh, young men and women out exploring the world. Uh, they're open to new opportunities and new experiences. We are there to offer them love and hospitality at no cost to them. And so they are sincerely mm. grateful. And this sort of adventurer mindset coupled with this gratitude, opens them up to want to hear about why we're doing these things. And of course, the answer is always right. the gospel and always Jesus. And whereas mm-hmm. if we had gone to meet them in Israel, there there is a very good chance that we would not get an audience with... A lot less receptive. Very much it. less receptive. But of course, you can understand being on vacation and having someone offer mm-hmm. you something of value. It, it right. really did. It not only... Uh, opened them up to want to hear about why we're doing this ministry, but it opened up uh, some really amazing avenues to form real and lasting relationships with these people. We had, we ended up having one Israeli couple live with us for over four months in our very wow. home. And we shared with them uh, all the time and shared life with them. So it was truly a remarkable an extremely fruitful gospel ministry.
0: Mm, that is so neat because when you first told me about New Zealand, I thought, why would you go there? You know, you think if you're going to be a missionary to the Jewish people, you would obviously go to Cleveland, New York, New Jersey, or maybe Israel, but not New Zealand. You know, it's like, that's a long way to find Jewish people, but it's really not because of favorite vacation spot. Mm-hmm. So it's very yeah, interesting. No, it's,
1: it, it really was unlike anything that, that I am aware of in church history. We were sharing the gospel with, we had three facilities plus a network of individual mm. homes that would host Israelis privately. Uh, right. there was, you know, we would have, uh, a group, a brand new group of about 25 to 30 Israelis, uh, stay with us wow. every week. And we would have to, we were sharing with them so robustly in such deep and sincere conversation that we would have to work in shifts well into the middle of the night. In fact, we had one gentleman on staff wow. with us. He was notoriously a night owl. He wouldn't come into work, so to speak, until about 9 p.m. And he would stay up all night with his, these Israelis till about three or four in the morning having gospel conversations. And Go on wow. um night after night all season long.
0: Hmm. That's pretty interesting because you also said that most of them live in cars or they just backpack, right? They just backpack and find a place to stay or yeah, camp that's out. that's
1: why our ministry was so valuable to them. You know, they're young, they're just they're just in their early twenties. They they had uh mm-hmm. a job out of high school being in the military. Um, uh, But of course mm-hmm. they, they are traveling on a budget. Uh, most of them mm-hmm. will go around the country in a sleeper car, uh, just like a minivan that has a mattress in the back. Um uh, This is, this is a okay. very popular way for young people to tour New Zealand. Um, uh, But of course we okay. opened up these facilities to them. It was a place for them to gather together with, with, with their own countrymen, which was very to them. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, free use of the showers and the laundry and facilities right. was something that they really truly were great
0: oh yeah yeah who wouldn't i mean really i mean to be able to go and we've gone to hawaii and And I know there, you know, you're basically on an island. And even some of the hotels, they don't have facilities where you can wash your clothes. And if you're there for longer than a week, I mean, and you said they stay three to six months. Yeah, that's that's
1: very typical. That's a typical tourist three months and they can easily get it extended.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's a blessing to be able to wash not only themselves, but their clothes. And and, um, that's really cool. But you had mentioned when you were talking about that, that other people... I'll also open up their homes other believers. I yeah, guess, that's that's actually that he- how
1: this all got started. Um was faithful individual Christians who uh were were New Zealand citizens. Um this started a couple of decades ago actually. They started to notice this huge flow of Israelis through their through their towns and through their villages and um and so they started this sort of organic um hosting network where they would they saw that there was a need uh to open up you know hospitality to these Israelis and God put it on their heart that this is what he wanted them to wow. do so what our ministry did was actually end up piggybacking on that organic movement we ended up purchasing mm-hmm. three large facilities where we could host 25 to 30 at a time and then we ended up uh, offering resources and support for these Christians who were opening up their homes, you know, uh, particularly training on how to share the gospel with these Israelis. Cause it's a very, it's not like sharing the gospel with your neighbor Joe Smith down the street. There's a right. lot, there's right. many obstacles to overcome, uh, pre, presuppositions and uh, the context of history and understanding how the Jewish people view Jesus and the church. These all have to be understood before you can ever begin to share, uh, to share the gospel with a Jewish person effectively. And you add to that the fact that, uh, most, if not all, and truly it's nearly all of these Jewish men and women from Israel have never heard the gospel before. I, most of them are, uh, you can see their eyes widen every time they learn that Jesus was Jewish. Uh, right. in fact, yeah. uh, I know a young man, uh, who is a believer. Uh, his family is lives in Israel. He is Jewish, uh, but they are believers. So they are by far in the minority. He, he goes mm-hmm. to school in Israel um he's a terrific young man his name is Ellie and he's in uh 7th grade or what would be 7th grade there and so he's 13 12 13 years old uh and he just told me a few weeks ago he said that just this last year their teacher was doing some sort of comparative religion class when they got to Christianity she mentioned that Jesus was Jewish and he was the only one in the class that that was not a complete shock to at the really? age, at the age wow. of you know 13 years old and so i found the same exact thing with 20 year olds and 25 year olds mm-hmm. and so there's there's a lot of obstacles to overcome and they are they are mm-hmm. truly considered correctly an unreached people group mm.
0: i had heard that as well i mean i think i heard and you may know better but it was like less than 1% of the whole state of Israel are believers in the Messiah. I thought that was amazing. It's
1: actually far closer to uh, a tenth of a percent. Um,
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Because the thing that you have to factor in also is that those who do identify as Christian in Israel um, are not necessarily truly evangelical, born-again believers. A lot of them are just... Nominally Christian, or they have one Jewish parent and one one Roman Catholic parent, but they're not practicing. Uh, those surveys right. have certain you know sources of error like that. So yeah, the true the true percentage is about one tenth of one percent, but it is growing. Right?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I have heard that. That it is very growing.
1: exciting times. Like our ministry mm-hmm. in conjunction with another ministry in Israel that I'm sure you're familiar with, One for Israel. Mm-hmm. They're doing tremendous work through the use of the internet and social media to proclaim the gospel. Um, and of course, the internet can be used for all sorts of evils in our day and age, but uh, it can also be used powerfully to share the gospel. And you can imagine a lot of these, you know, Jewish men and women, it's a bit of a taboo mm-hmm. to consider the person of Jesus. Well, they can go in the privacy of their own, uh, of their own home. They can go online and they can research as much as they want about, about Jesus. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where, uh, a lot of our ministry efforts, uh, have tried to focus is reaching them, uh, in that space where they, where they don't feel threatened.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I even think about this podcast, the countries, I think it's somewhere in the high forties or, early 50s that I, this podcast has reached in countries, not just people, but countries. Um, And Israel is among those countries. And I was surprised when I see that the state come up, that somebody in Israel watched my podcast, It's it blows me away. Yeah. We take for granted that the internet is so, you know, that we can learn anything, but we don't understand that what we're putting out also allows people in communist countries and Israel and all those other places to hear the gospel as well. Yeah,
1: no, it's an amazing technology. And now Mm -hmm. I I know that uh, nothing truly, in terms of sharing the gospel, nothing is more powerful than relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one thing to put information out there. I know that God uses that, but it's something Mm -hmm. entirely different to actually speak with someone face to face and right. have them see and hear that authenticity and that sincerity of your heart uh about the person of Jesus it's it's really really mm-hmm. powerful and so um our ministry in particular um is focused on that relationship
0: yes and you're right i mean and going back to something you said that i just can't walk up to a jewish person and say that you know oh do you know jesus or oh you should know jesus he was born in you know in in Bethlehem, did you know that? And all this kind of stuff, because I need to go back to the Old Testament and show them where he is in the Old Testament, I think. And that's the way um I've had some people teach me going back to certain verses, because there's even Isaiah 53. They don't really understand that as a Messiah is has become this lamb. I've read where they actually believe the lamb is Israel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um And that's a, that's a, in terms of the history of the world, that interpretation is relatively new. And by relatively new, I mean, about 1000 years old. Prior, prior mm. to 1000 AD, the Jewish interpretation of Isaiah 53 was fully messianic in terms of a messianic individual Or who the rabbis used to call the Messiah son of Joseph, the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nowadays, you're going to, if you, if you bring up Isaiah 53, you're going to get one of two responses. The typical response is, I've never heard it because they they don't read it in the synagogue. Uh, It's not part of the annual reading, even though they read
0: nearly every
1: other portion of the Old Testament throughout the calendar year. Isaiah 53 is skipped over. Uh, and mm-hmm. and then it, the other reaction that you'll get is that reaction, which is the more contemporary interpretation that Isaiah 53 is referring to the nation of Israel writ large uh, as mm-hmm. the one who has somehow um, suffered for the sins of the nations.
0: Very interesting. But without that understanding, it, it makes it harder to then the gospel to them you know give them and talk to them about the gospel but like you said they don't even understand that jesus was jewish and and but i mean but i think it's kind of you know there's a lot of christians that don't quite understand that you know and and i had um a guest on once where she even said you know we were talking about christ earlier like just the word christ and and that's more the the english interpretation of the greek word but it's the anointed one or the Messiah. And so even sometimes by calling him Jesus Christ, that is in no way a Jewish term to them. And unless no. we would say Jesus, the Messiah.
1: No. Well, most people use hear Jesus Christ, and they, they think of a swear word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, using the term Christ with a Jewish person is always fraught with problems because baggage. let me with baggage exactly right so here's an example i was sharing the gospel with a group of young uh jewish men and women uh, a few years ago uh this was just not very long ago when i finished sharing the gospel uh this young woman was very quick to raise her hand with a question and she asked me she said wait a minute are you telling me that it was god's plan for jesus to die i said yeah she said, and so Jesus went willingly to the cross, like of his own accord. It was part of God's plan. And mm-hmm. I said, yes, you're understanding me perfectly. And here, you know, here's this young woman, maybe 23 years old. Uh, it was 20, 2017. Uh, so I guess it was a little longer ago than I first mentioned. It was about, about five or six years ago, but not that long ago. And in response to all of this, she just wags her finger at me and she says, I always thought that you Christians blamed us Jews for killing Christ. Wow. And that's because to this day, uh, hmm. a common trope or slander against the Jewish people that Jewish people are called is Christ killer. Right. And that's something that uh, is still prevalent even in our day and age and has mm-hmm. been for hundreds of years. This accusation yes. that the Jewish people are guilty for having killed Christ. No, like I'm guilty for Christ's death. It's my mm-hmm. sins that he took upon himself and it's my sins that he had to die for. Uh, that's the correct understanding. Mm-hmm. But sadly, um, throughout church history and even to this day, there's this misunderstanding. There's this slander against the Jewish people, and so to use the term Christ with them is is actually just saying one of the worst words possible mm-hmm. uh, in terms of profanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have heard that, and even like, is that his last name? Like Jesus Christ, we just figured it was his last name. Yeah, you know, kind of yeah. kind of attitude.
1: But it's very no. simply; it just means Messiah. It's just the mm-hmm. Latin or the Greek term for Messiah. Christos, and so once you get that straightened out, then then it beca- you know things become much clearer.
0: The more I start learning and understanding the Old Testament, the more I I actually stop using the word Christian and Christ and use the word believers, you know, followers of Jesus, followers of Yeshua, or even the Messiah, followers of the Messiah, because I I think then. And we talked a little bit about this, but when we as the church, Gentile believers in Jesus, start calling the church, you know, even that has connotations to Jewish people, even Messianic people. So do you want to hit on that a little bit or unpack that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know that there's been lots of uh, differences of opinion uh, on this, on this question, where the Jewish people, uh, mm-hmm. fall into God's plan, uh, whether or not they've been rejected by God, uh, which is traditional replacement theology that mm-hmm. sadly has been the, uh, main theology of the church throughout, throughout the church age here, what's commonly known as the church age for the last 2000 years. There, then there's the idea that the Jewish people, are still part of God's plan, but they're not part of the church, Mm -hmm. uh, that they're distinct from the church. Um, That would be more along the lines of what is uh, believed in classical dispensationalism, um, that Israel is God's earthly people. The church is God's heavenly people. He has a plan for both of them, but they're different and distinct. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And what I believe that scripture teaches and what seems to be quite clear is that, uh, that Jewish uh and Gentile people, when they come to faith in the Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ, uh, they become unified, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, as one new man. And mm-hmm. this idea of unity can be difficult to understand, because one of the things about this unity is that it does not erase your identity. And that's one of the biggest obstacles that we face when sharing the gospel with the Jewish people is they think that if they believe in Jesus, it's going to completely erase their Jewish identity. Mm -hmm. And so here's a fact for you. If you're Jewish, uh, you have the right to uh, immigrate uh, and become a citizen to the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. How Jewish do you have to be to be Jewish enough to have this privilege to become a citizen in Israel? Well, you only have to have one Jewish grandparent. Mm -hmm. One Jewish grandparent makes you Jewish enough, right? Why that standard? Well, sadly, because that's the same standard that Hitler used during World War II in order to determine who was Jewish enough for the camps and the chambers. Mm -hmm. Ironically, even if today, if you have four Jewish grandparents, thoroughly Jewish, but you believe that Jesus the Messiah and in some sense, you call yourself a Christian, then according to precedent, uh, judicial precedent in the state of Israel, you are no longer Jewish, right? And have no longer eligible for that right of return or that citizenship that uh, that Israel offers to the Jewish people. You can be atheist, right? You can even be Buddhist with one Jewish grandparent. Mm-hmm. But if you're Christian, it doesn't matter how Jewish you consider yourself or how Jewish your ethnic heritage is, uh it erases your identity by becoming Christian. This is one of the biggest misunderstandings and one of the biggest obstacles that we have to come, overcome in yes. our ministry because essentially, you know, to understand and this is this is also true in um in the Islamic faith, in the Muslim mm-hmm. faith. If you convert to Christianity, uh, your family will disown you. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen time mm-hmm. after time after time. I've seen the strife that it causes. Uh, and it's a very difficult thing. I know one man in particular, when he came to faith in in Jesus, his father actually pronounced him dead mm-hmm. and um, and mourned for him and never spoke to him again. Wow. wow. So so this question of Jewish identity and who is a Jewish person and what does believing in Jesus mean for them is a really important question. There's like I said, there's been different attempts to answer this throughout history. Uh and I think that the best way of answering it is is with this uh understanding that that the Jewish people remain distinct always and forever from from the nations, from the Gentiles. When Jewish people come to faith in Jesus, they become part of the church, just like everyone who believes in Jesus or ever has or ever will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They become members of his body. Mm -hmm. They become members of his body, which is the church. And yet that does not erase our identity or our distinction as Gentile man or woman or a Jewish man or woman. And I believe it's this that's the essence of what I call gospel relationship. And so gospel relationship begins and starts with the person of God. Mm -hmm. He is a, we believe that God is one, just like the Shema says in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse, verse five, it says, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. And yet we understand that God is also distinctly three persons, Father, mm-hmm. Son, and Holy Spirit. This is so crucial. This is truly the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel, because God in and of himself is not singular. He is a relationship inherently in his person. What does that mean? Well, the meaning of that is the most beautiful and the most important thing that we could ever possibly understand. It means that God is inherently Mm self-giving. You can imagine a conception of a God who is singular and alone in eternity past before anything else was created. That God is alone. He Mm -hmm. does he does everything for himself. And, you know, we say correctly that God created all things and does all things for his glory. That's a correct statement. But I know that's rubbed me the wrong way mm-hmm. when I hear that. You know, that that sounds to me like, oh, God is selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is very self-centered. God is right. very self-glorifying. And, self-serving. And self-serving. Yeah. And we chalk that up to like, okay, it's God. So he's allowed to be self-serving mm-hmm. self serving and self, self glorifying. But the truth is that he's not. The truth is that in his person, he is, he is a relationship of three persons. And mm-hmm. so the father always does everything that he does because he loves and adores the son and wants to glorify and exalt the son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the son does everything that he does in a self-giving act to glorify and exalt the father and the Holy Spirit works to glorify the two as he proceeds from the two and unifies the relationship. And right. so, uh, and so just, and so this is why we can say uh, accurately that God is love. You know, God is not a thing called love, but in his own person, right. he is a father and a son and a spirit who are all loving each other completely in a self-giving way, not a selfish way. And so this is the essence of gospel relationship. It is unity, perfect unity Mm -hmm. with remained distinction. And you see this right in the beginning in Genesis chapter one, it says, let us, God says, let us make man in our own image. Mm -hmm. It says after the image of God, he made him Male and female, he made them. And then right. next chapter, it says, and the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. This is this is quite at face value. This is what the image of God is. It is the unity of distinct persons. Mm-hmm. And so marriage is as a type of gospel relationship that God calls us into with himself. He right. is calling us into this relationship of unity, and yet we remain distinct. We don't lose ourselves. We don't lose right. our our identity. Uh, and so uh I in, in a marriage relationship, I don't stop being myself, my wife doesn't stop being herself, and yet we are unified as one. And mm-hmm. of course, just as the gospel typifies this relationship of unity out of that love and sharing comes life. And my Mm -hmm. children are a real life material example of how my wife and I have become one flesh. It's a picture Mm -hmm. of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And this is what this is. This is shown to us in the person of the Messiah himself, In that God has married himself to humanity because Jesus in his person is fully God and fully man in mm-hmm. one person. He is mm-hmm. that unity with remain distinction. Uh, he's a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. And it's a mystery. You're never going to be able to explain it mathematically, or, right. but you can explain it in terms of this beautiful relationship and this beautiful harmony that takes place. And this is what we as his creation have been called to in the gospel by placing mm-hmm. our faith in the messiah of israel we are indwelt with his holy spirit god himself comes and lives inside of us and unifies us with him we don't st- and yet we don't lose our individuality mm-hmm. and yet i can call you my sister because we are both connected through the same God and the same Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And when when all believers, when all brothers and sisters come together in family, we are one family. And that's right. one new man that Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. Now, the important mm-hmm. part here is understanding that uh, just as this is typified in the Trinity and in the person of Jesus himself and in marriage, it's also typified in the relationship between the Jewish person and the non-Jewish person. That was always the distinction throughout the entire Old Testament. Any of your viewers who have read the Old Testament are familiar with this distinction. Israel mm-hmm. was to be separate from the nations, distinct mm-hmm. and set apart. And so uh what happened uh with the advent of our Messiah and his death mm-hmm. and resurrection is that uh the gospel went forth to all the non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles, and within a shoot short few decades uh faith in the messiah of israel became predominantly non-jewish for the first time in thousands of years right and and so there was this confusion over like well why is this happening why why is faith in jesus exclusively a gentile thing and why have the jewish people seemed to have rejected him um, that might be a topic for, a, another mm-hmm. podcast, but the, the idea is, is that, uh, this separation between the Jewish people and the nations, uh, is something that remains. And yet when we all share faith in Jesus, we are all brothers and sisters united together. And yet God mm-hmm. still has unique and special roles for his distinct people of Israel and for the distinct people of the nations.
0: Mhm. Wow, that was good. Um that was a lot of information and I think that uh you did a great job in in kind of packing it all into one little one nice little package I should say, but but you brought up so many good points and even um as you were talking I was even thinking about an um conversation I had had, had with somebody and well actually more than one woman didn't know each other both brought up in Jewish families, but both came to messiah um separate from their families and um or or brought up you know but but their how difficult it was and and she called it kind of like um she felt like she was stuck in the middle because, like you said, the Jews didn't accept her as Jewish because she was now following the Messiah Jesus. And then she didn't quite fit in with the Christians because in the church, because they felt she, well, she was Jewish, you know? So she, they both gave up at one point, their Jewish self, their Jewish identity to fit in to a church. And it, it, it actually just made me sad when I listened to it. It just made me so sad because I remember when I was, Back in my 20s, my early 20s, going to uh, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, which this church was wonderful. And that was the first time I met a Jewish believer in Jesus. And he was a young man, wasn't much older than me. Um, But like you had mentioned, his father, his parents, both, I mean, he was dead to them because he had chosen Jesus. Um, And he talked about that openly. And, and people though, respected him so much because not only did they understand what he had given up to follow Jesus, it gets me emotional, but, but that he also, they recognized he's one of God's chosen people, you know? And it, I mean, and that's how I looked at it in my early twenties. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's one of God's chosen people, you know? And I just wanted to get to know him in the sense that I wanted to understand him and his the jewishness of his background and and how he puts it all together yeah you know because i felt like i always kind of felt like i was just missing such a vital importance and maybe that's why the lord led me on this journey that i'm on because meeting him made me realize what was missing like this jewish understanding of who jesus was and what he did And, and there was always a part of me that wanted to understand it better, but it was just fascinating talking to some of these people, but sad hearing what they've gone through to know Jesus, to live for him, but also exciting to see what they've given up to live for Jesus.
1: Yeah. 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 I know that you and I have talked about this sort of, um, this type of awakening that's happening in the church for, Mm -hmm. for. Uh, people are starting to understand more and more that the Messiah that we worship, the scriptures that we read, and the promises that we participate in through mm-hmm. the gospel are all 100% Jewish. Jewish mm-hmm. Savior, Jewish scriptures, and Jewish promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so understanding those roots As we often call them is Mm -hmm. extremely important. And, and in terms of sharing this message with the Jewish people, uh, it is of utmost importance that we explain to them that, that no, this, this isn't some crazy Gentile religion. You know, uh, this is, this is your faith. This is the faith of your scriptures and the faith of your forefathers. This is the faith of your prophets that we are now grafted into. And that's what Paul talks about with the example of the olive tree, that we as non-Jewish people are the unnatural branches. Mm -hmm. We are the branches of the wild tree that get cultivated into the The tree of promise or the That's cultivated like. olive tree. And the most important thing that Paul says and his main point really in that uh analogy is to say to us as non-Jewish people, therefore don't be arrogant. Mm-hmm. Don't think that you know better. Don't think that you're better right. than, than the, than the natural branches. Mm-hmm. Natural branches are the Jewish people who are in the faith. And mm-hmm. so, it's of utmost importance to explain this to the Jewish people that no, the Christianity is really uh, the fulfillment of the Jewish hope. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing more Jewish that a Jewish person could do than to believe in the Jewish Messiah of Israel, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah.
0: Amen. That's right. Yeah, that was so good yeah I think we're just about out of time, but um any last thoughts, anything you'd like to share? any uh, cool stories you have that you haven't shared yet?
1: Well, just on the top of my head is this um, is the relevance of messianic congregations to this conversation. Mm. So in your example, you talked about friends of yours or people you knew who more or less in order to follow Jesus, had to forsake their Jewish identity had yeah. to go had to go to a you know i'm sure they went to a great church that preached god's word faithfully and mm-hmm. proclaimed the gospel but that but that had nothing to do with their um with their culture or their ethnicity right. as jewish people you know and and that can that can be very difficult for them you know we understand there's all sorts of different cultural expressions of worship if you go to africa you'll probably be or you'll probably be quite surprised to see how they worship God. And it might be a little uncomfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course it's very sincere and beautiful and and God accepts, uh, accepts their worship. And it's the same that's true for the Jewish people. They, uh, they need to have a space where they can maintain their identity uh, and maintain their cultural style of worship um, without having it be denigrated or, or viewed as works based or legalism. Uh, you know, if a Jewish person comes to faith in Jesus and wants to continue to keep kosher, uh, wants to continue to wear the prayer shawl, wants to continue to keep the biblical feasts of Israel, those things are wonderful, truly wonderful expressions of worship, uh, that are, almost universally by this community understood to not merit them salvation. Right. But to, to be an expression of their biblical faith in God, as they, as they carry out these biblical mandates for the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Um, They understand that, that, that's not earning them salvation. They, they know that the gospel is not works based. It's just something that, um, that for them allows them to maintain that connection with their heritage and with their people, which I think is something entirely biblical. God, nowhere in scripture does God say that he's going to eradicate the Jewish identity. Just right. the con- just the contrary, he says that the Jewish people, the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem are all going to remain before him forever with distinction from the nations. And so we right. should bear that in mind when we're sharing the gospel with the Jewish people and when we're considering uh, how they choose to worship the Savior.
0: And like you said, I mean, Jesus is coming back as a Jewish messiah. And where's, he, and where's coming he
1: coming back to? Yeah. He's coming back. He's coming back to Jerusalem.
0: Right. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, it's yeah. so, in, because it, I was just reading yesterday, you know, with the millennial kingdom, there's a temple. And of course, you'll see, um, I mean, there's even scripture that talks about God setting his feet in the temple. And of course, Jesus reigns as a Jewish king. Um, but then in the new heavens and new earth, there's no need for this temple anymore because the, the uh, well, I want to say the lamb, but God and the lamb are not only the light and the lamp, but they're the temple. So we we won't even have need of a physical temple. And, and I, I don't think I ever read it that way. But when I was reading, they kind of spelled it out and explained it. And I thought that was just so amazing, so cool, yeah. because they are the temple. They're yeah. all we need
1: yeah well ultimately uh and you'll agree with this the uh, we are the temple of God mm-hmm. and that's that's oh that's the most amazing blessed news of the gospel mm-hmm. is that that God doesn't dwell in heaven, right that God doesn't dwell in a building made of bricks
0: mm-hmm.
1: that God dwells has chosen to dwell in us, his people, mm-hmm. and that we together are the temple. And that is the most beautiful and amazing good news that I could ever possibly imagine, uh, because it makes God closer to us and more intimate with us than we could ever possibly hope for.
0: Right. And that's exactly what we're, well, when we're recording this, we're going into the Feast of uh, Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's exactly what it is. We are that tent, that tent that houses the presence of God and it first started in eden then the tabernacle um and then through jesus it's it's we are that tent and he is he lives within us um so yeah it's like such a progression and then one day we'll live with him again as it was meant to as we were meant to in the eden we're, we'll be in his actual presence and yeah um he, he won't have to just you know be in uh, I don't know. I don't want to put this the wrong way, but he's not. Um, his boundary is not our body, but the whole earth and, and we will be in his presence forever.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. And he is, he is even with us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's always something that I think needs to be stressed and encouraged oh, yeah. to people that, that God is not far off. Mm-mm. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, Uh, He is very near to you, Mm -hmm. uh, even, even in your own heart and even on your own lips Mm -hmm. uh, and that everything you do should be just like, just like within the Trinity, everything the son does is to glorify the father. So we who are in the son, everything that we should do should be uh, to emulate that and to glorify Mm God, glorify him.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate this. This was good. And I um, I love the way you explained the gospel relationship. So I hope that that really speaks to people because just as unity remained in marriage, in Jesus and the Trinity, it remains within the Jews and the Gentiles. They We keep our identity. They keep theirs. But it doesn't have to stop us from being one. Just like we're one in marriage, so Correct. that's just a brief summary of what you said. But oh, yeah, um, that's
1: that's exactly right. So,
0: so it's it's a good thing, and it's all it's all biblical, and it's all God ordained. So this is how He He planned. Um, even Ephesians talks about being one man. So um, so thank you, I appreciate that. And uh, so yes, and and I'm going to leave some links if you want to get in touch with him. Through Chosen People's Ministries, um, Chosen People, sorry, Ministries, um, I can put some of this information up on the links. So, but thank you for being with me today.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. It's been a real pleasure. I'll look forward to the next time.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.